but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we are here with episode 80. I know it's been a long layoff for us, so thank you so much for your patience. Uh, we apologize for the hiatus. Which was because? I've been very sick. I still kind of am. I had like the whole gamut of baby diseases. Strep throat, ear infection. I think next will be whooping cough. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm back. We have like two and a half weeks worth of stuff to talk about which in most years would be like six months worth of stuff worth of stuff we're gonna structure the episode through the lens of the good the bad and the ugly in fact that's the title of the episode and a lot of the stuff is subjective you had something under the good and i was like no that's bad <laughs> so uh we're gonna start with the very good which is rafa nadal well the big takeaway from this week is that rafa played Novak Djokovic and beat him for the first time since 2014. Novak won their last seven meetings. That's correct. So it's been a really, it's been a long time in the desert for us Rafa fans. And I think for me, a question mark was, yes, this clay season has been incredible. We've got to see him play Djokovic. I was waiting for that. Not even so much Djokovic, but just some top, top players. Right. That had been missing in the stretch of winning to the point where if you were having any doubts as to the authenticity of this this so-called comeback of Rafa's, then you wanted to see him put together a string of top wins against top players. And he did that against Kyrgios and then Djokovic and then Dominic Team. We can't really blame Rafa for who he faces as, as any player because Murray has been MIA. Djokovic hasn't been getting to these matchups. Uh, Dominic Team is the one who's been pulling through week in and week out on clay. Nishikori hasn't really made a mark on clay. I don't know what Stan Marenka's doing. So Rafa's playing who's who's making it. But damn, if he did not look impressive against Djokovic. But who was that? Who was that Djokovic on the other side of the net? I barely recognized him. Well, we're at this point now where it's the flip side, the inverse of what we would talk about with Rafa when he would play some of these guys when they were playing their best. How much of Rafa's decreased level back then was due to the the level of play of his opponent? And yes, Djokovic is not anywhere near his best, but I'd argue that a good part of that in that match had to do with how well Rafa was playing, which was a bit different for us. Right. I would agree. I think Novak playing quite a bit better would probably still be vulnerable to Rafa in this situation because he's just been totally dominating on the clay and he feels like he's got his mojo back. But Novak looked, you know, not not quite as quick as he normally is. I think we're also probably want to read into the the coaching change, all these shocks that have been going on in his camp. Looking up there in the stands and seeing Pepe and Marco, and that's it? That was shocking. So I think maybe the way that I'm looking at Novak's play has a little bit to do with 
uh, what I'm inferring from what's going on inside the camp, right? And Pepe being Pepe Imaz. Yeah. Who is? Who is the guru? Yeah, for he's folks who may not love. necessarily know. Oh, he yeah, he's the peace and love guru, who was a, is a former tennis pro, so he's not a complete Philistine as far as tennis goes. But uh, it is it is strange. It is very strange. And Marco now apparently has been working with Pepe for four years right. on the payroll. So the Djokovic's are, are fully entrenched in this life of Pepe situation. It is so bizarre. They have bought the stocks and they're waiting for those stocks to gain value. It looks like Novak has been searching for inspiration, you know, something bigger than tennis, and maybe he's found it. But man, this is a very strange turn of events in his career and in tennis. But firing his entire team that's been with him for so long, that's the... uh... It's like if, if Rafa just said, okay, Tony, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the same as Tony saying, I'm going to step back at the no. end of the season. I, I imagine it was very difficult for Novak that he was he felt that he needed to part ways with Marion Vida, who's been his mentor, a, a really another father figure for him, the stalwart who's always in the box. He obviously thinks this is something that's very, very important to his game moving forward. And to his mental state. With the win in Madrid, Rafa now ties Novak with 30 Masters 1000 titles, which is an absurd number, really. (laughs) And on the year, Rafa has played eight events, the ninth being this week as we speak in Rome, but eight completed events. He's made the finals in six of them, won three, and then in the other two events, he made the quarters... And the round of 16. Mm-hmm. And the only three people to have beaten him this year are Federer three times, which in itself is shocking. <laughs> Another one of those twists of 2017 so far. And then Raonic. And then Sam Query in Acapulco. Of course, Sam Query. <laughs> what do you make of Rafa playing Rome this week? You had asked me, should Rafa pull out of Rome this week mm-hmm. after winning those three events in a row? Right. And I wasn't saying that he should pull out. I'm just, mm, you know, when I know you don't follow like college sports, but when a team goes into the tournament undefeated, like 28 and 0, they very rarely win. I mean, that's not unique to college sports. I'm thinking of like NCAA basketball, but in, in football, like the Patriots were undefeated a few seasons ago, I think they lost in the Super Bowl. It like it very rarely happens that you have these these streaks stay alive. So I would much rather him lose in Rome or pull out of Rome than than to have it happen in Roland Garros. I'm still a very superstitious fan. Like I'm confident in my Rafita, but I just want I want him to be healthy and rested for Paris. Well the only issue for me with him playing Rome is if he were to injure himself. I don't think fatigue is gonna be an issue for him. You watch that Madrid final with Dominic team and you marvel at the rallies, the 20-plus shot rallies, bruising rallies, incredible tennis. Mm. And you think of that as, say, the quarterfinals of the French Open. And even with Dominic, say, winning the first two sets, playing that type of tennis over five sets, it's still going to be hard to get that third set. And that's what's been most encouraging about Rafa's play 
in the last few weeks. It seems like he has that belief in being able to find a way and being able to rely on the usual suspects in his game to get the mm. job done when he needs it. Being down, break points, serving for the match and hitting aces, running around the backhand to, to hit the forehand inside out, striking winners off the forehand when he needs to in those clutch moments. These are things that we haven't seen consistently in a while in big matches at the at the back end of tournaments. Mm-hmm. The, to me, you pointed out some of the big differences during this clay season is the serve, the confidence on the forehand, and just the overall aura. And don't sleep on the backhand, because I feel like in Rafa's game, his backhand gets overlooked in terms of how it sets up the rest of his game. Mm. He's able to do so much from that wing, change direction of the ball in very sneaky, seemingly innocuous ways that sets up his game for the forehand. And it's incredibly reliable for him right now. Yes. And he's able to draw right-handed opponents out wide with those short angles off the backhand that sets him up to then finish the points. Mm. So right now he's got so many options at his disposal the, the, I saw people point out that the tactical side of his game is much improved as well. Well, that comes with having confidence to be able to, to put the ball where you want it when you need to. Right. And he hasn't really had to go the distance a lot, which is good. I mean, these are only best of three matches, but, uh, he's, he's getting through opponents in two sets. He's not hiccuping in the second. If he wins the first, it's kind of been like bulldozing through the second, even against a quality opponent like Dominic Team. That that final was was really something else. The first set, I can't remember, it lasted well over an hour. I think it was like an hour and 15 minutes, the first set. It was really, really tight. Both players saved set points. Um, it was just like they were both hitting the hell out of the ball. And it was a great showcase for Dominic Team's weapons. And you can see that really against almost any other player at that point, Dominic Team would have been winning. He just, he played incredibly well, but unfortunately he lost the set and then you get into the second set and Rafa's just on his way. After he got through that first set, it was like, okay. The matchup also lends itself to that kind of bruising tennis too. They're both mm. playing miles behind the baseline, which then gives them the opportunity to really let loose on the ball because they're both hitting with so much topspin. Yes, and Dominic Team has been very vulnerable to the drop shot, which is tactically maybe something he's working on with his coach because that was something that was, you know, his movement is great, but at a lot, many points during the match, he's pinned so far behind the baseline. It's like, there's there's no way you're going to get to that. I don't know if there's something that, that is new for Rafa, but I've noticed a whole lot of drop shots from him. Yes. And he's been executing it exceptionally well off both wings, the forehand and the backhand. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in tennis in general, I feel like folks are using the drop shot much more this season on clay. I don't know if I'm misguided in thinking that, but even Venus Williams is out here in Rome <laughs> hitting some backhand drop shot winners. Well, I think it, it may have something to do with the player, the type of players who've been winning a lot. So Laura, we've seen a lot of Laura Sigamund, and obviously she uses it extensively, Christina Mladenovic has been out there a lot winning, and she has a lot of variety in her game. So I think it's, it's kind of just the players that we've been seeing. And, and the drop shot is so effective on clay. 
Dominic team now back to back big finals on clay. Like we know that he has clay pedigree. We've been talking about this for over a year now, but these are top results in back to back weeks too. I feel like that's the key thing for him there. Mm. Like he's building and going from week to week, getting better because there is a difference between being in that say seven to 15 range and then being able to jump even higher in the rankings. Like these are the things that you're, you're going to have to do to get that extra bump. Right. And he's trying to make the case that he's one of the very best there is on clay and whether or not that translates to the rest of the season, we will see. That Madrid round of 16 match that he played against Grigor Dimitrov was some of the best tennis I've seen all year. Mm. And it really sucked for Dimitrov because he held multiple leads in multiple sets, held leads in the tiebreak in the third set, had, I believe, five match points, three to five ma- multiple match points, mm. And Dominic somehow won it 11-9 in that fifth set <laughs> to then go on to make the final. Right. And this is after Grigor had lost in the first round three consecutive tournaments, had been on a, a downswing since winning on home soil in Bulgaria in February. And after such a great start to the season, it seemed that, well, wow, if he can pull this off now and continue winning a few matches, maybe he won't have to deal with a prolonged slump. Right. You know, maybe he won't be undoing the good work that he'd done starting at the Rogers Cup last year and through the early part of this season. That there won't be a regression. That what we thought of Grigor, so much so that we, I said that he could be a breakout candidate this year, that it wasn't just a short burst. Yeah, I think... Grigor is probably more vulnerable than most to these slumps in confidence. He seems to be uh, an emotional player. And it was around this time last year that the famous Istanbul collapse happened against Diego Schwartzman. For me, as a fan of Grigor, I fear that if he gets these bad results strung together, that a slump could be in the works. Not to say that he's, he's certainly talented enough to pull himself out. He then goes to Rome and has the great misfortune for somebody who is trying to maybe not fall victim to a slump and then put that tough loss behind him. He draws Del Potro first in Rome and loses in three sets. Mm -hmm. Didn't play a bad match by any stretch, but that's incredibly unfortunate. And didn't he uh, snap the racket in half with his bare hands? He smashed it and then he broke it in half. (laughs) I think he got a code violation for racket abuse. So this is what I'm talking about. These sorts of... We saw that kind of tantrum in Istanbul last year and it did not go well from there. The other good, the on the women's side in Madrid, Simona Halep defended her title. She played Kiki Mladenovic in the final, who has now put together an incredible season. She's fourth in the race to Singapore, and she's just playing well on each surface that she's been given this year. And this is another example of a WTA final that has gone the distance and been really compelling lately. I think we've been seeing a lot of them. There's more to come on, Simona, because you've got lots to say in the ugly section of this podcast. we will be talking about Simona in ugly, unfortunately. Uh, Kiki... I wasn't sure where to put Kiki, you know? Falling under the good is her tennis. 
Yeah, really impressive. What, what do you make about the stuff that she's been saying? Do you think that that's a good look for her or no? <laughs> well, that's what I this is know. boiling down I to. I don't know. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago when she put her money where her mouth is and beat Sharapova after talking all that shit. She continues to say whatever she wants. And um, in in some ways, I admire that. And in other ways, I want to be like, oh, okay, like, you don't have to say everything that comes to your to your mind. That's not my place to say. But we do have a podcast and we can. <laughs> right? I'm sure people have thought that about us before. Probably. So the latest thing, there's been a few things because people are giving her platforms because why not? Why would you not give her a platform? Like she's getting you page views. People are so into the messiness of the WTA right now. And yes, Kiki, the people say like, oh, these players need to stop talking about it. Well, they're being asked about it. Right. So. And a lot of players we saw with Mirjana Lucic. They say they're tired of asking about it, and then they go on for several paragraphs about it. No, but then she also says that there are people who don't want me talking about it. Who are those people? Mm-hmm. Is it Steve Seymour? Seymour. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Steve Seymour. Yeah. Because he's um he's had some French brain moments as WTA CEO lately. French brain? Yeah, you've never heard that on tennis Twitter? Is that I feel like that's offensive. It probably is. But it has to do with you know, the choking mm. that French players often suffer in high pressure moments. Right, right. Making bad decisions. <laughs> I'm not going to co-sign with that. But back to Kiki. First, she expounded on her thoughts on Caroline Garcia, suggesting that Caroline was less educated. You know, Kiki herself speaks five languages. She finished high school, unlike Caroline. And she just knows how to make her way through the world better, which was really the gist of what she was saying. So that was, strangely, it came off as more diplomatic than she has been, which is really saying something. And then she's gone on and explained a bit more her stance on Sharapova, sort of creating a a binary between Sharapova the person, whom Kiki is very open about disliking Mm -hmm. and thinking that she has no manners and that she's rude. And then Sharapova, the player, whom she admired very much and doesn't anymore. Well, that's just... How can you say, well, I don't respect a five-time Grand Slam champion? That's kind right. of hollow right, right. to me. But to the Garcia thing, like it, it had echoes of Serena's... One of her very first well, reads, it right? It certainly does. And, and our theme for several seasons... Not you know, not having a formal education, mm. essentially. That is a, it's it's a read. And it's not a very nice one. So you're saying so the Kiki thing, like, is this good? Is this good, bad, or ugly? I don't know. You have it here as good. Well, I really wasn't sure where to put it. I I remember criticizing Muguruza pretty harshly a year or two ago when she said, None of us are friends, we all hate each other. And I found that so unpleasant and i found it damaging to women's tennis so i'm not really sure where i'm supposed to fall with this kiki thing like yes it's it's amusing it's shade but like do i really feel like lining up in support of that because in some ways it's messy and in some ways i just want to say can you just move on like you beat maria it's done i understand you keep being asked about it because it's 
it's good it's good copy it's still a developing story the wild card thing just happened which we'll get into yeah so her name is constantly in the press room right everybody True. wants everybody who's there <laughs> they have to write their stories and this is what's getting the the responses from people that are not as they tend to be generic cookie cutter responses to generic cookie cutter questions right and i will say that the wga leadership has been absolutely inept at promoting women's tennis and if this gets women's tennis out there and people talking about it maybe that is a good thing i don't think that women's sports should be known for the drama but if this is going to get people to pay attention to the wta Maybe that's a good thing. It's not like they can go watch it anywhere. This is the sexist vortex in which women's sport exists. Right, right. It's like, how do you promote it? And the WTA isn't. Because like you said, we've had exceptional finals. We've had, despite people keep saying, oh, well, Serena is not there. Who's going to watch? Sharapova, you have to give her the wild card because the star power isn't there. The WTA is suffering. But the actual tennis on court has not suffered. No, not at all. And we, we've we been seeing the usual suspects. We've been seeing Halep playing well, Mladenovic, Sigamund. Kuznetsova. Like, right. These are not superstars like Serena and Maria, but they're people who have been playing well this year, consistently. Is Kiki a contender for Roland Garros? You have to consider her at this point. Right. If you go by how people have performed, she seems to have incredible confidence to not just play well on court but back that up in the press room mm. so i think that the tournament is a, as probably as wide open as it's ever been uh it at least in my in my recollection yes i would agree so much so that people are out here saying venus williams is a dark horse to venus, win to venus win williams the goddamn french open <laughs> at 36 years old like think about how absurd that is mm. but that is where we are on the WTA at the come the French Open in yeah. 2017. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's that, but also part of that has to do with Venus's strong play as well. Yes. I don't want to take that as a, a glib slap in the face to Venus because she's earned that. She played a hell of a match against Sigamund in Charleston and just didn't manage to win. Right. You know? And Sigamund has been beating everybody out here. She shows up in Rome. She wins her first two matches in straight sets. She's in the round of 16. Going to be playing Joe Conta again. <laughs> and should she win that match, she can be in the top 10 again. And if she were to win Rome, she could finish the tournament top 5, top 6. Like, this is this is not Venus of 2-3 years ago where she's showing up and having bad results and then running the table elsewhere, maybe at a smaller tournament, having cute results here or there. This mm. is Venus who has found a way to mitigate everything that's detrimental to her performances. And she now can call on many different reserves to get her through matches, right. beat mental fortitude, which kind of has always been there. But obviously now she has more confidence in her game and knowing that if one thing isn't working, then something else can work, be it an intangible or a different part of her game. And she's clearly not afraid of the clay courts right now. Like she's loving it. She, I'm, she's been elevating her games at game at the slams. First of all, she's defending fourth round points at Roland Garros right. this year. 
at her weakest slam mm -hmm. by far. And like we've said before, she seems like she's having more fun on the tennis court, possibly more fun than ever. Maybe not as much fun as like 1999, <laughs> but it's, it's a different kind of, you, you greet the world differently when you're 36, you've been playing for 20 years, right? So the rest of the good, um, the coaching changes, I guess, are, are fall under the good. So Mario Ancic is well, working with... Well, insofar as they're not bad or ugly. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Mario Ancic is working with Borna Cioric. Ancic, who is a, a lawyer, mm -hmm. a very smart dude. I always liked him a lot as a player, and he seemed like a kind of a good guy. And Borna is coming into his own. His body is, you know, developing mm. purely athletically. How much can Ancic help him with his thought game? I That's what I want. I don't know. think his thought game really needs that much help. So is Ancic gonna slow his thought game? No. Is he gonna be no. detrimental? No. And the big coaching news though is Sebastian Grosjean will be working part time with Nick Kyrgios. He's finally yes. chosen a coach to work with him. And apparently he has been working with him on and off. But they've made the announcement. I've always I loved Grosjean when he was playing. He was uh, the Frenchman who was great on grass. But it's probably an arrangement that works well for Nick. He, he needs a long leash, I think. A little bit of freedom. So a coach that travels with him week in and week out is probably not ideal. And I also don't think that a super coach is necessarily what he needs. Not everybody needs to have a super coach. No. And not every big-time retired player is going to be a good coach. There was all this talk about... Agassi being a good fit for Djokovic and that there was actual legitimate talks going on or something. I don't, I don't see that. I don't believe that for one second because Agassi's got tons of stuff going on with his foundation, his kids. I don't think he would leave his kids. I just think Andre has way too much going on. Yeah, I did not believe that rumor. The, the one last thing in the good, Francesca Schiavone is having just a hell of a clay run. She reached another final in Morocco, lost to Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, who's been having a really great season, quietly. And uh, she lost early in Madrid and decided to go to Florida and say, you know what? Rome, you don't want to give me a wild card? That's fine. I'm not going to qualify. I'm doing my own thing. Because they'd given her a wild card or invited her to pre-qualies. Which but, is like a, a separate tournament that they have to then award a wild card to the winner of that really, mini event. Like, really? That's just so fucking disrespectful. It is. The wild card thing is, is weird. I mean, it's not a meritocracy, as we know. Sharapova received a wild card, and she had to retire in the first round. And I'm not saying that in a celebratory way at all. I don't celebrate when players get injured, regardless of who they are. But it goes to show, like... It is a crapshoot, giving players wildcards. And it's just, it is a confounding, absolutely confounding story that Schiavone, former Roland Garros champion, did not get a wildcard to Rome. The, you said the last thing, but there is one more thing about the good, the Madrid ball boys. Oh my lord. So our friend Dr. Scholes was in, happened to be in Madrid because he was doing a grand tour of Europe. A thought tour. And he was able to show us a few close-up pics of these ball boys. And I think, I don't think we should call them ball boys. They're really ball men. <laughs> They're actually male models and, and female models as well. But 
like damn. Well, they were. It's it's genius promotion because they were all wearing the Samsung S8 stuff, promoting the the new phone. Mm. Which it doesn't seem like you can go anywhere in life without seeing some kind of Samsung promotion lately. And I'll have you know that I spurned Samsung and went from the S6 to the LG G6 in spite of all the promotion that I've been seeing this weekend. Mm. In spite of the ball men? They just weren't they weren't giving enough, it seemed. Maybe if they had the S8 painted on a bare chest, I don't know, maybe that would have really? been... I don't know. That's too, like, football. This is Tyrion tournament. Anything is possible. <laughs> Truly. That is a good point. Into the bad. The part that I moved into the bad section where you had in the good was this messy boot situation with Sharapova and Bouchard. <laughs> did I have that in good? You did. I think because it gave me so much pleasure to watch the whole thing unfold. Here I am being messy again. I, just, I cannot help You cannot help, help yourself. So, Eugenia Bouchard... As we know, popped off about Sharapova, said said she's a cheater. I don't think she should ever be able to play the sport again. Blah blah blah. That's I said what I said. You can't be equivocal about Mladenovic and then be well. Jeannie needs to to chill. Mm, you're right, but ugh, okay, it's complicated because first of all, I find Jeannie to be totally obnoxious in every way. Well, this is what a lot of this has been boiling down to mm. with so many of these issues. It boils down to what you feel about the individual player. Yeah. We talked about that last time. A lot of this this uh, messiness with Sharapova set aside everything to do with the case mm. or whatever or her. It's that a lot of people just don't like her, right? Yourself included. Right. And you don't like Bouchard. You like Kiki more. And so, like, these, these base reactions to folks comes from you know bias it does and it creates kind of disproportionate reactions and i I can i can acknowledge that that maybe i'm not applying logic to the way that i'm analyzing this as much as i should be but from mladenovic it comes off more as french straightforwardness and with bouchard it comes off as just empty-headed, mean-spirited nonsense, and that me saying That's me saying that very tactful, me saying that is mean-spirited in itself. But I just get the impression from Bouchard that there is like not much going on upstairs, and I may live to regret that. She'll probably at me. <laughs> She'd probably go show you her pre-SAT scores and be like, "How about that?" I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of how about that, Shara, or Bouchard beat Sharapova. Uh, I, I'm, I was in utter shock. I could not believe it. You tweeted in the first set saying like, oh, Jeannie's won two games. She must be so pleased. It's better than I would have ever imagined. I counted that as a victory, that she won a few games. I thought Sharapova was going to absolutely destroy her. But it did not go that way. So credit to Jeannie for pulling that match out i don't know like that must have been some serious inspiration and of course she tweeted after the match a picture of herself with the caption how about that i knew once she had won that she was just gonna pop off every which way yeah i even tweeted about it i'm like you think she's feeling herself now just wait to press 
And then she was asked if she felt to follow up on what she said about Sharapova. And she's like, yeah, again, essentially, I said what I said. <laughs> and she took to Twitter afterward, tweeted the how about that thing. And then Miss Serena Williams from her pregnancy bed. Or for, I think that day she was actually chasing some deer outside of her house in Florida. What? She was Snapchatting some deer. <laughs> she's going to Disney. She's doing all these things uh, on her mat leave. And she liked the tweet. I knew, I knew that Serena was going to get involved in this mess from the jump. I knew it. And so I was not surprised to see the like. What I was surprised about was somebody tweeted a hilarious Sharapova book cover meme with Jeannie on the cover. And it said, insufferable, my life so far. Maria's book is unstoppable. Unstoppable. My life so far. Yeah. Right? And Maria liked the insufferable joke about Bouchard. So we're getting into these these like wars on Twitter. How about that? It is entirely messy. It sure is. And all that being said, with all the pleasure that I've derived from this little psychodrama, I am so ready for tennis to move on. Well, what do you think is going to happen when people can't fucking watch the matches? Like, I'm getting really annoyed. I mean, I find illegal streams and watch matches that I want to watch. I'm not relying on a subscription to sit down and watch a whole day's worth of women's tennis, right? Like, I I pick my spots, and I'm still able to do that depending on the quality of the stream. But for a large swath of folks who are fans or even casual fans, they just don't have access to this stuff. And so, even, like... Big time fans uh, on tennis Twitter. Like yeah. this is all that we have. Like we're just waiting to find out who said what in press conferences on Twitter. Big time fans and coaches like Darren Cahill, mm-hmm. who tweeted today that he's getting viruses from these streams. He can't find these women's matches that he wants to watch. That he uh, needs for his job. Exactly. For research. That is embarrassing. And then Miss Serena Williams is there on her couch and she's saying, Where can I watch women's matches? I've been watching tennis all day. Like, listen, this <laughs> this is the ambassador to your sport, the greatest, and the former number one from from last week, saying she doesn't know where to find WTA matches. Like, you have got a terrible shitstorm of public relations on your hands. In a way, the WTA is lucky that they've had this wild card drama. And all this et cetera stuff happening with the mm. Serena pregnancy mm-hmm. and whatnot, because it's it's created this storm of messiness and just outside the lines rubbish to distract from the fact that the the actual product, people can't find it, even though they want to pay for it. True. In very bad news, Juan Monaco announced his retirement. Pico, Pico Monaco, Rafa's friend, nine-time title winner. On the ATP tour. Didn't we just crown him Olympic thirst trap champion? Wasn't he the Yeah, the oh winner? yeah, yeah. And it even got better after that. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that while we will miss him, that this doesn't affect his output on <laughs> the various thirst media. Right. Federer withdraws. Who do you think is going to take up the mantle now? Now that Pico's gone. Oh, I think um, Borna George. I agree. Yeah, I've been looking at his Instagram. He's not shy. No. I think... He loves water. He loves diving into water. (laughs) 
Like, Verdasco likes to pose near water, but Borna likes to go in the water. Mm-hmm. I think Dominic Team will also take up the mantle in a, a, less, shy. a less ostentatious yeah, way. Yeah, he's too shy. Yeah. To be the thirst champion, you have to own it. True. Anyway, Federer announced his withdrawal from the French Open. What What's with this placement of bad here? Are you well, sure? Well, I mean, it's isn't it bad for tennis? That I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. What was your thinking in placing it under bad? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not bad for Rafa, but I'm thinking of the whole sport here. Okay. A more holistic view. Yeah, Roger Federer missing a Grand Slam is is bad, I think. I was surprised by this announcement quite a bit. I really I didn't expect that at this stage in his career with him being fairly healthy throughout the season that he would pull out of the French. We've talked about this before and I think we we both came down on the side of well his ego won't allow him to not play. Right. But I think what ended up happening was common sense won out because at 35 pushing 36 the grind of the clay court season. Is it wise to, to not have any match practice and then just show up at Roland Garros? For what? Yeah. Like, he hasn't had any preparation. Like He's at the point where, granted, he's playing better than Agassi was at this stage in his career, but Agassi chose to just forego the, the clay court season. Yes. His last, couple of, his last couple of years on tour. And that might be what we see from Federer. He said, well, I look forward to seeing my fans in Paris next year, but... Why would he pay, play mm. next year if he's not going to play this year? Also squarely in the bad section is the new rules that have been announced for the next-gen finals at the end of the year. A whole bunch of crazy gimmicky stuff that, to me, just seems like tennis is thirsty to try and create their own version of cricket's T20. Okay, so a few things here. First of all, the changes are... Uh, they're going to be best of five matches, but the first to four games in each set. And at three all, there will be a tiebreak. There is also no lets, no ads, and a shot clock to keep everything quick. No lets on the serve. Right. And no ads on deuces. Coaching at to-be-determined times during the match. Possibly on a headset, but not on court. Right. To, you know. Why don't they just have somebody send a telegram? <laughs> or like have a, fo- a fox carry out a message? A fox? Yeah. Fox it, you know, instead of fax. Oh. <laughs> I know that people have been very upset about this, and I'm struggling to care. And I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, what is this event? Why should I care about this event? And why should I care if this event changes the rules? Because I feel like it's a stepping stone, a slippery slope to some new bullshit. Like, tennis is already crowded enough. Like, that's the issue, the schedule. Like, the the ridiculous schedule of the tennis season. That's more of an issue than shortening matches that, for the most part, outside of the slams, they're no more than two hours. Right. I just don't see that there's a big push across the board to change the format of tennis. And I don't really, for me, I don't really buy the slippery slope argument that this will kind of open things up because I don't really see this being super successful. The top players aren't playing there. It's the top of the next generation. 
It's at the end of the season. It's it's kind of an afterthought to me. So I have avoided the outrage completely. And the other thing, you compared it to T20 cricket, that has actually been highly successful, hasn't it? Yeah, which is why they want to capitalize on that, I feel. Mm. But I just think that this is a lose-lose situation for, for tennis and for the fans. Do you think that T20 has been a bad thing for cricket? It's different. Cricket was coming from a place where they needed to translate five-day test cricket into something more accessible to more people. Mm. Part of the T20 experiment was to get North America involved in cricket. And it it hasn't necessarily happened to the extent that folks would have wanted it to. What it has done is made a whole a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of money. Yeah. And become very successful with all these T20 leagues popping up all over the world, especially in India. The Indian Premier League is highly profitable for the folks who own those franchises mm. and for the players. It brought it, it brought a lot more money to a lot of, of players who weren't necessarily making a lot of money in cricket professionally. And like say it goes the route of becoming a money generator and income generator for more tennis players. Great. That would be a good thing, but at the expense of what? Mm. You know, at the expense of creating a sub tour where players no longer like they do in cricket, no longer try and play first class cricket to then qualify to play test cricket for England, Australia or West Indies and instead make themselves only available for these shorter format tournaments Mm. right do then do we then have players in the 50 to 100 ranking range not playing regularly on the tour or foregoing challengers and qualifying to then go chase extra money which would be their right and absolutely understandable in these you know gimmicky leagues elsewhere because if somebody finds a way to make money off of it it's gonna happen you know, so you could see, for example, again in India, like they are innovators when it comes to making money off of alternative forms of sport. Okay. Right? That maybe you have what was, say, the Indian Premier Tennis League, the IPTL, having a more like a Kerry Packer type one day cricket tour, which affected cricket in the late 70s, where a lot of the top players went off to go play in this rogue league Hmm. and the main product suffered. So it's not that that's because there wasn't real money to be made in test cricket at the time. Right. True. But there are a lot of players for whom making money as a tennis professional is a real struggle. Yes. But I'm just saying this is not without some concern. It's alarmist for me to be saying this at this point. Yes. Hmm. But given that I don't think that there is a need for it per se, how about we just infuse money more equally down the line for more players. Absolutely. Agreed. I was surprised by my non-reaction to this because I'm I'm pretty much a purist when it comes to the rules in tennis. I don't think that the format needs an upgrade. I don't think the the scoring system needs an upgrade because to me, that is not what's keeping people out of tennis. It is difficult to break into if you don't understand it, but you learn it. Cricket is incredibly complex if you're new to it. But you know what is also very complex? American football. Mm-hmm. And look, it's the most popular sport in the country. Millions and millions of people watch it every week. But it is 
the scoring and the rules are extremely complicated. So I really don't see that as the barrier for tennis. The last bit of bad in this list of the good, the bad, and the ugly is the bad play and bad seasons that the two world number ones are having. Wow. I feel like saying anything about this is just piling on. Because Murray lost yesterday to Fabio Fonini, 6-2-6-4. Yeah. And was complaining at one point, shouting to his box, I can't move, I can't move. Like, what is going on with him? Even he says that, yes, this is a cause for concern. Mm. Like, what is going on with me, essentially? <laughs> and Fonini, I see you. I want you to know that I see you. And that... You're mocking of Rafa and his ear infection and his otitis or whatever it was mm. on Instagram. That was disrespectful. Oh my god, he's, he thinks he's so funny. Aren't they like friendly off court though? He's such a child. Yeah, he is. Like, such a child. Supposedly, the, uh, them, Panetta, Fonini, and Serena are friendly as well. And he said some stupid thing, made some terrible mm. jokes about Serena. That one time when something about. Panetta playing another, yeah, someone, another man. Someone on court. tweeted about her yeah. playing a man on court, and he liked it and retweeted it or whatever. Yeah. So like he just has a terrible sense of humor. Meanwhile, Anne Kerber lost six four six love to Kantavite today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this well cause for concern. <laughs> At this point, it's been a really bad season, and I actually feel for her quite a bit. Because neither of these two players is happy with losing, obviously, as mm -hmm. number ones. Like, clearly, they know it's not a good look. As you said, we don't need to be piling on. But my God, like, this is this is bad at this point. Well, yeah. And I don't even think we are. But the press has been so bad that saying anything about it looks like piling on. Because they're in such, like, down in the dumps. And it's it's interesting because Kerber has just regained the number one ranking. Murray has a stranglehold on it. He's so far ahead of Djokovic, but like the tide is turning if he can't start defending points in the second half of the year because Rafa is now number one in the race, correct? Yes. Federer is second. If Federer has big results the at two of majors them, over the summer, then the like... The two of them, Rafa and Federer, they both are in position to be world number one by the end of the year. Yeah. Realistically, especially with the way things have been going. Rafa himself with a deep run at the French, could be number two as quickly as mm. Roland Garros, which mm. is crazy. It is, considering that both players missed a whole lot of last season. Mm -hmm. As for Kerber, Serena's fans, they do enough damage to her yeah. that I don't need to be carrying on anymore because y'all are just mean-spirited sometimes <laughs> when it comes to Angie Kerber. Like, I realize she beat Serena... And you, yes, Serena is the best player that ever played women's tennis, mm. possibly tennis. This is not diminished by Kerber being number one, you know, like no. the vitriol and the, the mean spiritedness toward her is just a bit too much. And now that she's losing, it's just at a fever pitch level. The mocking is just too much. And like, she's out here trying to do her job. I've said this before. Like, Murray and Kerber are not out here dicking around, going to parties, not practicing. It's just not It's just not coming together for them at the moment. It's not like Murray is Marcelo Rios and Kerber is out here mouthing off like Nadenovic <laughs> while losing matches. Right, you know, right. like, they're going about their business, they're trying. Shit's just awry right now for both of them. Hopefully they figure it out. Mm. 
Now into the juicy part of the the episode. So this is the ugly, unequivocally the ugly. Well, is there anything other than Ilya Nastasi? Possibly Jan Tyriak. <laughs> right? You knew you knew some bullshit was going to be coming from Tyriak at this tournament. He is like the Trump of tennis, right? Nastase was there in Madrid, in the stands, and that was enough. Like, that was enough that he was there. It's a joint ATP-WTA tournament. The WTA has condemned him. Steve Simon issued a pretty scathing statement this week. But the ATP obviously does not give a fuck. And they also think that Tyriak can do whatever the hell he wants at his own tournament, I guess. It's just his little kingdom. So him being there wasn't bad enough. There he is presenting the trophy to Simona Halep in the final. Having a kiki on court. Shocking. An absolutely shocking display. And this is why Simona is in the ugly for me. Because it has been building this feeling that Simona is problematic. And it's it's come to a fever pitch for me. Because I have been a fan, and I can now officially say that I am not a fan. We were very kind to Simona when the whole Fed Cup thing happened, because we took the the approach that who really would be prepared to deal with that situation. It was unfortunate right. for all the players involved, right? Right. And I don't regret taking that stance. No, these are this is weeks after now. And then there she's... I guess you could make the argument that, yeah, she's extremely happy to have defended this title. She's finally playing good tennis again. And there she is accepting our trophy with this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Not of mm-hmm. her own doing. So there's that. I, I'm still not going to take that away from her. But, like, the pictures were just... The, like, hugging up and smiling really close with him. It just... Oh, God. Like, is anyone... Does she have someone in her team telling her how to deal with the press? Does she have an agent? I just don't understand. And on top of that, there she goes, chucking her racket and then kicking it, and it hits one of the ball models. He, The excuse now is that he ran into it. Basically, that he was mobile. If he had been standing there and she kicked it at him, I guess that would be a clear default. But again, this is Jan Tyriak's tournament. Nastase is in the stands. Simona is a defending champion. She's not getting defaulted from this tournament. It has nothing to do with intent. It's like when I she, well, I agree. It has to. It's just like when Shapovalov blasted the ball and hit the the chair umpire, right? Right. He did not intend to hit that guy in his eye, but then no. it, it happened. No, but we she she did not intend to hit the ball boy, but it happened, and it was a direct result of her kicking the racket unnecessarily mm-hmm. after she had already unnecessarily slammed the racket. This shit has got to stop. So this is another example of an umpire and a tournament referee just treating this like it's not a big deal. And it will become a big deal because someone will get hurt. Mark my words. A ball kid, a volunteer, somebody will get hurt because this stuff keeps happening. So Steve Simon was very clear that he didn't approve of Nastasia being there and... It was a pretty strong statement as far as Steve Simon's statements go. Well, he's been issuing strong statements lately. We'll get to that right, next one. Right, right. But it it was just so bizarre and so typical of tennis because tournaments, future tournaments have already announced that he will not be welcome on site. And there he is in the box at Madrid. 
It's just it's just a cartoon. Well, that was bad enough. The issue really, the real issue is presenting the trophy. Right. That's what? that is the real issue yeah. here. It's it's strange. It's complicated, and Nadia Comaneci was there as well. Like the the upper echelons of the Romanian sporting world is a small world, right? Like th- this is the royalty, and so I understand that it would be difficult to impossible for Simona to separate herself from those people but it's just man like she needs to get better advice she needs to make better decisions like there there is a way to be gracious without doing that anyway the big news the most recent big news is Sharapova has not been given a wild card to the French Open we buried the lead didn't we this this is the story in tennis this week and I'm glad that we waited to record because this just blew up yesterday. What are your thoughts? As with everything, it's uh, it requires nuance to parse through it all. Mm. There are several moving parts, and we'll address each of them. So the French Federation president, Bernard Giudicelli, he organizes this big spectacle where he goes on Facebook Live to make this announcement. <laughs> like, dude, you're not important. Just issue a memo, send an email. Why are you making this a bigger deal than it already has become? Mm. Added to which, like, he listed out all the people who were getting wild cards and then said, oh, well, this is why I'm already getting get none. Because I am the moral authority in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I caution people on this podcast all the time, whenever you, you hear people proselytizing about morality, you need to be very skeptical because they're often always protecting their own self-interest. Right. And Well, t- tell them exactly what he said. It's, it's a good one. He said, it's my responsibility, my mission to protect the high standards of the game played without any doubt on the result. Which makes no fucking sense. Because if that's, if you're saying without any doubt on the result, you're saying that Moria has questionable shit in her system right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Or that she's still benefiting from like. Exactly. You're saying that you're essentially calling her a, a current doper. <laughs> Meanwhile, he gave a wild card to a player who's coming back from a corruption suspension for betting. So. I don't know. Are you really upholding the high standards of the sport? It's been pointed out that the French Federation and French sporting authorities are very sensitive to doping because yes. of the the denigration of their greatest sporting spectacle, the Tour de France, because of the whole mm-hmm. mass doping scandal over the years. Yes, and it's particularly also be- with Lance Armstrong, and it's become a criminal offense in France. Yeah, right. So, like the the social the social climate there with respect to to doping, it's it's a little bit different. It's enhanced, right? But then you could have just omitted Sharapova and not give any of this diatribe. Mm. Like tournaments are within their right to issue their wild cards however they choose. Like this whole business of being the moral high ground. And protecting the high standards of the game. Like, what are the high standards of the mm. game? Are they the same standards that allow Ilya Nastasi to then present a trophy on court after he's called two of the top players bitches and their coach? 
Mm. Uh, we see all manner of missteps and morally reprehensible behavior happen and condoned in tennis all the time. So don't then come and try and be the gatekeeper when it suits you. Well, he to then put yourself on that pedestal for your own grandstanding. Well, he's here to stem the tide of amorality in tennis. He is the levy. And then we have Steve Simon. He's <laughs> calling out the French Federation now, issuing one of his strongly worded statements. Again, a statement that has... It's amazing how specific he can get when he's not talking about streaming rights <laughs> and broadcasting WTA, right. WTA tennis, right. right? He's got a lot to say. I've scarcely heard anything more vague than when he was giving responses about where to find mm. WTA tennis and when that whole thing will be rectified, right? But he's very specific here to then say that there are no grounds for any member of the tennis anti-doping protocol or whatever, TADP, to penalize any player beyond the sanctions set forth in the final decisions resolving these matters. He's essentially saying that Sharapova is being penalized. Yes. So that's the word that many people have taken issue with, including Ted Robinson, was pretty uh, blunt about it on Tennis Channel, because a, a player cannot be penalized if they don't really have a right to be in the tournament and and that's just that's just a fact her ranking does not qualify her for qualifying or the main draw so how is she being penalized she served her 16 months six was it 16 15. 15 but that's the thing when you come back you have to rebuild your ranking point by point and she actually has received a lot of help in rebuilding her ranking Wild cards to Stuttgart, to Rome, to Madrid. I mean, it's not like she's just simply not being penalized. I will say that I was I was shocked by the decision because we had heard rumblings a few weeks ago that the French Federation was going to issue her a wild card qualifying, or that the French Federation was going to issue her a qualifying wild card, and I thought that sounded like a. Uh, a good compromise just just to avoid controversy and she said she was certainly ready to play qualifying if that's what it took but man this this was a shock to me but i know this judicelli dude is saying oh it would be a, a disservice to invite her to qualifying a player of her standing uh, like what i know right like what? a disservice to her mm-hmm. and tennis like I think she would have gladly accepted the wild card to qualify. Or you issue it and then put the ball in her court and then make that make her make yeah. that decision. Like she's going to say, no, I don't want it. It just seems like it's a bit of after the fact trying to make things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Why are French tennis people just doing the most all the time? Man, I said on Twitter the other day, like we, the body serve, have been telling y'all for years that the French Federation of Tennis is messy and will stay messy. It is their raison d'être. Do you do you disagree with the decision, uh, aside from all the, the moralizing and stuff? No, because the FFT is within its rights to do whatever it wants. Mm. Just don't issue that kind of reasoning for it, right? Uh, mm. You could issue no comments until you're blue in the face if people keep pressing you. Like, you make the decision and that's it. You're now 
creating a bigger stir surrounding this story. Like, I just want this wild card thing to go away. Right. I'm so right. tired of it. So much so that I was really hoping Sharpova would make the semis in Rome this week because then she would have gotten her ranking high enough to then qualify for Wimbledon mm. without having to go through this wild card spectacle again. Because now that the French Federation has positioned itself as the moral authority, what do you think the Brits are going to do? Right. Now they've been given kind of the the permission to do the same thing. But what do you think about this whole penalizing thing? Do you think she's being penalized? No. I can't say that I'm upset that she's not playing Roland Garros. Because I think she's been so far given every opportunity to build a ranking. It's just uh, like your, your ban ended too soon. Like your ban ended, what, a month ago? And unfortunately, it comes pretty close to the second major of the year. But like, you were banned. Uh, Like, why am I supposed to feel bad? Maybe you should have been banned at a different time. Uh, Like, I don't know. (laughs) Right? But that doesn't speak to penalizing. No, I already said my piece on penalizing. Which is what? How, How can you penalize someone who doesn't have an objective right to be at a tournament? I think that... No, but the issue is people are saying that she was already penalized. She finished the ban, which is what Simon is getting at. He said that the the final decisions resolving these matters have already been made, which was a 15 months she's done it. So why wouldn't she be, quote-unquote, deserving of a courtesy that you would normally extend to somebody who Mm -hmm. is a multiple-time... Grand Slam winner and two-time winner of your tournament. And one of the biggest draws in the game. Right. And I see that. And it's strange to have an active two-time champion not playing at this tournament. But she's not being banned. She can play somewhere else. It's just, we've we've seen that wild cards are given out for any number of reasons. And not given out and, for any number of reasons. And normally pretty self-serving reasons on, on the part of the tournament. Uh... So while I can say I'm very, very surprised by this, I'm still not going to say this is a penalty. It, the thing is, I can't tell if it's, um, if it's like a courageous decision, because the French Open is a major, they're going to make money regardless, but man, you do have a women's side which is lacking a lot of big star power. You know, Azarenka, Serena, Kvitova were already going to be out. And now you've denied Sharapova wildcards. So I guess, I don't know, are they worried about viewership, ticket sales? Like, does that matter to a tournament this big? If they had issued no moralizing statement and just said she's not getting the wildcard, then you could maybe talk about a courageous decision, even though I find that terminology just ridiculous. Yeah, I just couldn't think of like a, a better word. But the fact that they've issued this reasoning behind it, I am not co-signing that. I'm also not co-signing the people who are saying that she's being penalized. And I'm not co-signing Steve Simon, who is doing the most in this instant. Hmm. Because I don't necessarily feel like this is his place right now. Not when you have other things to be worrying about and working for and toward for people who want to actually watch women's tennis. Agreed. When you have the number one player sitting on her couch tweeting about where can I find women's tennis on TV, then you got a big problem. The last ugly bit is something I specifically want to talk about because it's something that's 
bothered me for quite some time, and it's something we've intentionally not talked about on the podcast, nor tweeted about. We know, and I'm going to speak about it vaguely, we know that Mariam Bartoli has gone through some things with body image and whatnot. Hmm. And even throughout her career, she was the butt of many jokes from people inside of tennis, from fans, ran the gamut about how she looked, right? Hmm. And so she lost all this weight, and then people were saying, oh, she clearly has this wrong with her, that wrong with her, making all these diagnoses, and it became a spectacle of a whole nother kind, mocking her her body again. Mm. And so now a picture emerged this week of her at Roland Garros having a hit, and all you could hear was people saying, oh, wow, she looks healthy again. Right. Which is code for what exactly? And what is healthy? And are you the same people who participated in the mocking of her body in the first place? Right? Like, this is mm. a woman, a former champion, who is just having a goddamn hit on court at Roland Garros, and her picture gets sent out, and now everybody's talking about her body again. When, in fact, it's none of our business. Right. And if, in fact, she did suffer from an eating disorder, as a lot of people speculated... The obsession with her body in the public sphere is not something that's healthy or helpful to her or anyone. Because the same obsession that's now saying stuff like, oh my god, so happy she's healthy again. It's the same obsession that started this whole thing in the first place, presumably. And again, I don't know. I assume that that's what was part of it, if that indeed happened, right? Mm -hmm. But let's be a little bit more tactful and respectful of people. Like, she clearly was going through some things. Yeah. And And it's none of our business. If, in fact, she is healthier and happier than she was, then I'm happy for her. But I do... I hear you that I'm I'm struggling to find the sincerity in a lot of people's comments. Uh, You know, I don't know that they really care about this stranger's interior life. That brings us to the end of episode 80. 80. Oh my god. We're octogenarians. Thank you again for waiting these almost three long weeks for us for for coming back after the hiatus. Man, it has been such a busy spring as far as tennis goes. I'm looking forward to just watching tennis on TV again, watching women's tennis on TV, and getting past this Sharapova wildcard drama. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore, and I don't want to have players be forced to talk about it anymore. As usual, you can find us on Twitter at TheBodyServe. Same goes for Instagram at TheBodyServe. Hit us up on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. A nice, positive, glowing review. <laughs> They're always welcomed. Until next time. <laughs>